Magovanen. This is the Tolkien Lore channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek, and in this video I'll be talking about five characters whose character was drastically changed in uh, Peter Jackson's The Lord of the Rings movies. Not counting The Hobbit for this video, I might do a similar one for those movies later, although it's a little bit harder to do. Um, but for now I'm talking about Lord of the Rings characters specifically who their book version and their movie version are radically different in some way. And the way I'm kind of putting these in order, the more different their character is, the more likely they are to be close to the top. And what really will help get a character close to the top is if their changing character really affects the actual plot line and how the story develops. So there's, you know, elements of some of these characters that because of the way their character was changed in the movies is also connected with a plot change in the movies as compared to the books. So with that as a little bit of background, let's get started. Before we get started here, I should warn you because I'm talking about differences between characters in the books, characters in the movies. There's obviously going to be a lot of stuff here that you may not know about if you've only read the book or only seen the movies. So, spoiler warning, if you don't want to know anything you don't already know, don't go any further yet. Okay, number five is Denethor. Now, in a lot of ways you might think, well, well how is his character really that different from the book? He's an old codger, doesn't want to give up the throne, he goes kind of crazy when Faramir apparently dies. Uh, he doesn't seem that different. But he actually is kind of different, and it does have an effect on the plot. So in the book, the Denethor is kind of a normal person at the beginning, and over time we see him develop more into the despairing, uh, half-crazy type that he ends up being, which really gets pushed over the edge by Faramir's death. In the movie, and it's probably a little clearer even in the extended edition than in the regular, but he seems to have already kind of lost any real hope before the, the beacons are even lit. And that's where the plot change comes in, because in the books, by the time that Gandalf and Pippin cross into Gondor, they've already seen the beacons... Uh, being lit on the mountains that they're passing on their way from Rohan to Minas Tirith. And G Gondor is therefore already preparing for war. There's another scene later in the book where Pippin actually sees different uh, military people coming in from other parts of Gondor to help with the war effort. So it's not a huge character change, but it's a huge change in the timing of how his character breaks down. Because in the book, he starts off, you know, he's still clinging to some level of sanity and his, it's probably as much his desire to maintain his rule as anything else. But that alone is keeping him in some position of, I still want to defend Gondor because it's mine. Whereas in the movie, you get the idea that he's, basically kind of already given up on the idea of really doing much. Um, and the real irony of all that is whenever Denethor walks outside and sees the hosts of Mordor before the walls of Minas Tirith, he complains that Theoden's betrayed him. 
wait, aren't you the guy that didn't even want to light the beacons? I mean, come on. And that's why he makes my list, even though his character change seems small, the change really does cause an, an effect, a small effect on the story, and it just doesn't seem to make much sense. So that's my number five pick. Now on to number four. Number four, Merry and Pippin. Yeah, I'm kind of cheating, including them both here, but they're so tied together for almost the entire story that it you almost can't talk about one without the other. And the reason why in this particular case they make the list is, and you could argue that they should really be higher on the list, but the other ones are going to be really, really impactful. So Merry and Pippin in the movies are kind of like comic relief and a little bit just the, the playful end of the story to keep things a little bit lighthearted. And that's sort of the role they play to some extent in the books as well, except not really. I mean, if you pay attention, they're not so much the comic relief, although they do bring comic relief elements into the story occasionally. Their real role is as the kind of rustic, I don't know as much about the outside world as maybe I should, um, and therefore they they exemplify the learning process even more than Frodo and Sam do. So in the books, we get a pretty good view of Merry and Pippin as, even though they're young, they're still relatively mature adults. Pippin arguably not an adult because he still hasn't technically come of age. I think he's 29 at the time the movie starts and the, the coming of age for a hobbit is actually 33 because they just live longer than humans. But this actually also has a huge effect on the plot of the story, and frankly, they probably made the plot decision independent of the character change, which is part of the reason why they're so low on my list. Um, but in the books, we see that Merry and Pippin know about the ring beforehand and are actually making plans to go with Frodo on his journey. They don't just stumble into Frodo and Sam at Farmer Cotton's field and end up with joining him just out of necessity. That That's not how it goes in the book. Whereas in the movie, it's just, it seems like pure happenstance that they all end up taking the trip together. So again, that does have a pretty profound effect on the story, although not one that makes a huge difference in terms of how the story goes from there. It's just they, they left out a significant amount of material in the movie where it shows Mary and Pippin actually doing a lot of planning. They knew a lot about what was going on. Um, and so that it was, there's a whole chapter on the unmasking of a conspiracy in the book that really doesn't happen in the movie. So that's why Mary and Pippin make my number four spot. Number three, Gandalf. Uh, here the bigger, he doesn't actually have as big an impact on the story so much, but his character is pretty radically altered. In the book, Gandalf is the one who is very wise, very knowledgeable, very confident in pretty much everything he does. He's not the only character like that, but he's probably the most confident character out of everybody there. And it makes sense. He's been around walking Middle-earth for probably 2,000-some-odd years, uh, and he's been, you know, fighting the war against Sauron in one form or another for basically all that time. He knows what he's doing. He's had long, long plans. He's always thinking long-term. In fact, at the Council of Elrond, that becomes pretty clear that his, you know, he, he brings up the fact that our, our goal here is not just to think of what we can do for our one little generation, but to make sure that there are future generations that can 
you know, live at peace and free of Sauron's dominion. So he's a very, very confident character in that sense. That doesn't mean he knows everything. He admits that he has failings and he has his issues. But in the movie, what you see is a very different Gandalf. What you see is in the Two Towers, for instance, he ends up expressing some doubts or seeming to express some doubts as to whether Frodo and Sam are okay. Aragorn comes up to him and says, well, what does your heart tell you? And he says that Frodo's alive, and he seems to be relieved. And it's, you know, it's not to say that Gandalf in the book doesn't worry about Frodo and Sam, but he's not, he doesn't ever really express any doubts that the path that he set them on is the right path. Not because it's necessarily going to succeed, but because it's the only path that really can be taken. And then this gets even worse in the, um, Return of the King, where after the Battle of the Pelennor Fields, in the uh, they're kind of having their little discussion about how to proceed forward in the uh, the throne room, and Gandalf is he's almost turning into Denethor. He's despairing of the entire quest, thinking that oh no, there's all these orcs and Mordor that Frodo can't get past to get to Mount Doom, and how is he going to make it? And, Aragorn is the one that comes up with the plan of, well, let's just go attack Mordor and make Sauron clear out his land of all his armies. That's actually Gandalf's role in the book. You know, I mean, Gandalf is always the one who is making the plans because he's always the one who's the most foresighted. So even though this doesn't have a huge effect on the story, it radically changes the most confident, most farsighted, most able player, so to speak, in the war against Sauron into somebody who's, you know, he's making decisions, but then he has these huge moments of self-doubt. It's like, why? I mean, it's Gandalf. I mean, he's been around for 2,000-something years. Don't you think he'd be a little more sure of himself by now than that? So even though he doesn't have a huge effect on the story, I think his, his drastic change in character merits his spot at number three. Number two, Aragorn. Now, Arguably, Aragorn should be number one, because his character change is pretty radical, and he has a lot of effects on the story, and I'll get into that in a minute. The only reason I'm not putting him at number one is because the person I picked for number one is probably the most annoying to me, the, how much they changed. Um, so anyway, with Aragorn, they changed his basic character in the sense that in the book, he's a very dynamic leader. He accepts the fact that he's going to become king. He's actually very much in with the fact that he's going to become king because if you read the appendices, you find out that Elrond essentially makes it a condition of marrying Arwen that he become king and Sauron be defeated because he's not going to leave Arwen in Middle-earth just to marry Aragorn if, if there's no real hope for Middle-earth at that point. So... That's the character change you see. In the book, he's very much a go-getter. He's a very, um, very strong character. In the book, in the movie, you get the idea that he's kind of, you know, he's good at combat, but in terms of his actual personality, he's just kind of a, eh, I don't really want to get in conflict. I don't want to, you know, and you see this play out in all kinds of ways in the plot. So, some some of the ways that uh, the plot is affected kind of all go back to Rivendell because in the book, because he's very much planning to become king, 
uh, he has uh, his sword Anduril, or the shards of Narsil, reforged into Anduril while the Fellowship is all in Rivendell. They haven't left yet. Uh, in fact, he actually carries the shards of Narsil with him before that in Bree, and you actually see that in the book. So the fact that he gets the sword reforged before the Fellowship sets out on the quest ends up having a lot of ripple effects throughout the story. First, in Lothlorien, uh, the gift he receives when everybody's receiving their gifts from Galadriel is not a knife from Celeborn. How boring is that? I mean, come on, that was just a... It was stupid. They had the knife used one time throughout the entire movie, as if that made some significant difference. Um, instead, what he receives is a sheath made for the sword, and uh, which has some kind of magical power about it, too. Uh, such that whoever draws a sword from it, that sword won't be broken in battle. Which, of course, is an obvious reference back to the fact that Narsil was broken in battle, and that's why it was in shards to begin with. Another way that this affects the story is um, when they, when Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas arrive with Gandalf to uh, Theoden's hall, the uh, door wardens, of course, ask everybody to leave their weapons at the door. And in the movie, it just kind of happens. But in the book, Aragorn's like, it's kind of a special sword. I'm not just going to leave it on the doorstep. And they almost had a fight over this, okay? Uh, arguably, Aragorn is actually exhibiting one of his few character flaws in this scene. You could argue that he's being a little bit too um, into himself, a little bit too egotistical, uh, Gandalf finally talks him into leaving his sword there. Um, kind of a minor plot point, but it's interesting because it gives us a different little element of Aragorn's character. And then another final point which is changed because of the way the sword thing goes, Elrond, of course, in the movie has to bring Aragorn the sword when he's at Dunharrow with uh, King Theoden and his army before... Aragorn actually goes into the Paths of the Dead. Okay, big deal. Uh, and But the reason it's important is because if Elrond didn't come there, how would he find out about the the Corsairs that he needs to go stop from ravaging the coasts of Gondor and eventually coming to the aid of the orcs besieging Minas Tirith? Well, in the book, whereas in, he actually uses the Palantir at Helm's Deep on the way back from... Um, confronting Saruman in Orthanc. And it's a really big deal because, of course, the Palantir is a dangerous thing to use and all this, and you learn a lot more about the Palantir, uh, mostly in hints, but you learn a lot more about it because of the way it happens in the book. So, I mean, Aragorn, and these aren't even the only ways in which the plot changed because of Aragorn's change in character. This is just like one stream that all comes back to this one little element of the sword. There's a lot of other things, too, like the Argonath, the way Aragorn reacts when they're floating down the river from Lothlorien and they come to the two huge statues of the kings. His character and how he handles that situation in the book is far different, and it gives you a very different idea. The way he interacts with Eomer when they first meet in Rohan, very different. There's all kinds of things in the story where Aragorn is a much more dynamic and interesting character and then in the movies, they just made him into kind of this reluctant hero. And 
you know, I mean, it's it's a such a common trope. Why can't we just have a guy who's actually just the hero who is going after the thing that he's destined to go after? Why do we have to always have, you know, the, the trope of, well, I don't really want power, but I'll take it if I have to. And it just becomes boring after a while. Let him be Aragorn. So anyway, that's the reason Aragorn is my number two pick. Number one, Faramir. Now, you might think that this is kind of weird because Faramir's not a huge character in the story. He really only shows up for a short bit in The Two Towers and a little bit more in The Return of the King. And for a lot of Return of the King, he's wounded and isn't really doing much. But he's one of the most important characters in terms of telling the story of the ring itself and the way he reacts to the ring and the changes made to the, to the plot in the movies based on that make for huge differences in the way the story is told. So, in the movies, of course, what we see is that Faramir is basically like every other person who comes into contact with the ring, or at least every other man who comes into contact with the ring, um, in that he at first succumbs to temptation, and then, you know, he ends up redeeming himself much like Boromir, and the only real difference is, unlike Boromir, he redeems himself before he gets into a position where he has to get killed over it. Um, now, in the movies, the only man who really resists the temptation of the ring is Aragorn. Uh, and of course, that probably plays into a little bit of what I was talking about with his character, the whole reluctant leader type thing. Um, but with Faramir, of course, we have a different thing. And, and it ends up being a weirdly self-contradictory issue in the movie because on the one hand, you can see that Faramir is a better man than his brother, right? I mean, we can all tell that he's not, per se, a power-hungry guy. His main motivation seems to be making his father, Denethor, happy. So, you end up with this character who's supposed to be more pure in a lot of ways than Boromir is, although even there, they kind of messed with Boromir's character, too, uh, and made him a little bit more pure than he is in the books, after the fact. It, it's weird the way they played that out. I might do a different video on how they messed up Boromir at some point, but um, in the book, Faramir is a very different type of character in, in a lot of ways. In the books, Faramir is a... He, he likes to learn about Gondor's history. He likes to learn basically about anything worth learning about. Uh, he's not unlike Boromir, who is very much just into war and the glory of the warrior, Faramir is definitely not into that. He's brave and courageous and a good leader when he has to be, but he much prefers a life of peace. He prefers uh, learning to warrior lifestyle. He's, you know, a very different person altogether. He's also a lot more wise and insightful than most men of his day. And that would even include his own father, Denethor, who is has his own sort of wisdom, but doesn't really go as deep as Faramir. Faramir is very insightful in terms of reading the character of other people, but he's also, you know, wise in the true sense that we usually think of in terms of what's what's the right thing to do. Denethor is more wise on a practical level of how do we win the war and maintain Gondor as it is. So Farmer's character is extremely different, and in the book, that has a huge impact on the choices made, because 
in the book, he actually never really even becomes tempted by the ring, as far as we can tell. And to the extent that he is tempted, he just rejects it outright and doesn't even, he doesn't do anything along those lines. He lets Frodo go willingly without having to have a huge trek off to Osgiliath and getting Frodo and Sam involved in a battle and then all this other stuff. And this is a huge impact on the story because not only do you see Faramir doing radically different things, like trying to take the ring uh, to Denethor, but it ends up killing a lot of time because Frodo and Sam, instead of leaving directly from the cave where Faramir takes them to the crossroads and uh, eventually Mordor, now they end up on this huge side trek to Osgiliath where nothing important to the plot happens other than Faramir changes his mind. So Peter Jackson ends up wasting this huge amount of time that could have been spent on other things in the story. I mean, there's other things you could include about Faramir uh, that don't have anything to do with what he ended up putting in the movie, but we lose that because he spends so much time on Faramir being a, a, you know, a typical man in Peter Jackson's world and not you know, resisting the temptation of the ring. To me, this is really annoying because Faramir is supposed to represent the fact that there are men out there who are not, you know, just easily swayed by the temptation to power. He's actually a thoughtful, good person. And he's, you know, Aragorn isn't the only good man in the world, period. I mean, that's kind of the point of Faramir. And the way I kind of look at it is Faramir is supposed to represent, you know, man as man in a lot of ways. Aragorn represents man as king, or you might even say that he's a little bit of a symbol for Christ as king, because a lot of Tolkien's Catholic theology gets into this book one way or the other, and I'll probably do a video about that too, but, you know, Aragorn is the king. He's the leader. That's his role. That's who he is. Faramir is, you know, he's a, he really is more the reluctant leader. He doesn't want to have to be the leader because he doesn't want to have to lead because he doesn't want there to be a war at all. And he's got some of the best lines in the book that relate to those kind of themes. But all that gets left out because of how Peter Jackson treats his character in the story. And what makes it probably the most frustrating is the fact that Faramir is actually, in a lot of ways, Tolkien himself. Uh, in Tolkien's letters, uh, Humphrey Carpenter's edited uh, book, The Letters of J.R.R. Tolkien, Faramir gets some treatment in several of the letters, and in one of them, number 180, he actually mentions the fact that of all the characters in the story, Faramir is the one that represents him the best, although he admits that in terms of physical courage, he's, he's not up to Faramir's level. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of letters where Faramir gets brought up, and he even talks about the fact that Faramir's dream, which is also not mentioned in the uh, in the movies, except Eowyn has it, weirdly enough. I don't know why Eowyn ends up with Faramir's dream, but that's in the extended version of the... I think it's in Return of the King extended edition. But the uh, the dream, of course, is of the great wave coming over the uh, the land and whatnot, and that's actually a dream that J.R.R. Tolkien himself had, and he gave that to Faramir. Uh, so, I mean, that 
that character is supposed to represent Tolkien, and in, in one sense, he's the one who's been most radically altered by Peter Jackson's movies. And I just find it really frustrating because Faramir is the one person who's supposed to represent, this is just the good man. And Peter Jackson turns him into, nope, he's just like every other guy, a total dirtbag until he is forced to see the light, essentially, by events. And that's why, in my opinion, he's number one on the list of characters changed by Peter Jackson's movie. So, that's my list. If you've got opinions that are different than mine, you think somebody else should be in this list that I didn't include, put some, put some thoughts in the comments. Uh, feel free to disagree. Like I said, some of these I could have placed in different order too. I mean, they're, it's not easy to say which one is the most, um, the most altered or whatever. But um, anyway, if you've got if you think I could change the order better, or if you think I've missed somebody important, put those in there. And until the next time, this is the Tolkien Geek for Tolkien Lore, Damarie.